God is good. Can you say amen? God is good and he does good. He's the author of all good. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the privilege to stand before you, to love you, to serve you, God. Let every heart, every ear, and every mind be attentive to your word this morning. Hallelujah. God, I praise you and worship you and thank you for helping us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> As always, it is a privilege to um, preach and bring the word of God. We are going through uh, the book or the letter to the Philippians and I uh, entitled my sermon this morning, Are We There Yet? How many remember driving somewhere when you were a kid? Mom, Dad, are we there yet? No, no, no. Are we there yet? No, no, no. It'll take a long time to get there, so why don't you guys play a game while we're driving? Get the alphabet off of all the license plates. Look for license plates. For, do whatever it is to distract the kids from the boredom of driving. Now they have their own video uh, players in the vehicles, and they can just zombie out watching TV. It's like, why don't you guys look at the scenery? Hey, you ever seen that before? Let's stop over here. Oh, here's a scenic overlook. Let's stop and look at the sunset. Do something to occupy your time as you're heading somewhere. How many know we're heading somewhere? We're not actually in uh, Philippians 5. This is just the fifth, series, fifth uh, message in this series. So we're actually in Philippians chapter 3. And there we go. Chapter 3, verse 1. If you have your Bibles with me, read along. Philippians chapter 1. Finally, my brethren and sistren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. If you uh, have never uh, looked into this before, just a little background. Philippi is a city in Macedonia. Paul the Apostle and Silas went there. They started a church. Uh, they got arrested because they expelled a demon out of a little girl. They got beaten and thrown in prison. And uh, while they're in prison, the jailer puts them in the inner prison, puts them in stocks, and the stocks were very uncomfortable. And there's Paul and Silas. It says around midnight they were whining and complaining. No, it doesn't. It says around midnight they were praying and singing praises to God. And if you've ever been in a small room, the acoustics are wonderful and you can hear it out everywhere. And all the prisoners were listening and the jailers listening. And there's, all of a sudden there's an earthquake. <laughs> Everybody's chains fall off and all the doors fall off and none of the prisoners escape. Not one. That's a miracle. <laughs> Can you imagine the Pima County Jail? The <laughs> that happens down there or out of the Beaumont prison or any prison. The doors open up. There was an earthquake uh, uh, several years back in Haiti. And the prison doors opened up. <laughs> and the prisoners did not wait around. They said, here's our chance. <laughs> We're out of here. But not in that case. In the city of Philippi, they stayed, and then, not only that, but the jailer, he's going to kill himself, because if anyone did escape, the Roman authorities would have killed him anyway. 
So he's going to kill himself, takes his sword out, and Paul the apostle, with the heart of a pastor, the heart of a person who loves God and loves people and will endure anything to see people saved, yells out, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. The jailer calls for a light, comes in, and the first thing he says is, boy, I'm glad you guys didn't run away. The first thing he says is, what must I do to be saved? He obviously had heard the gospel while Paul and Silas were singing and praying and and giving thanks to God, even in that horrible situation. And so Paul was under arrest at the point in time where he wrote this letter back to those folks. He's under house arrest, I guess, in Rome. (coughs) And the Philippian church, they were poverty-stricken, but they took up a collection more than once, and they sent it to Paul to help him out because Paul lost everything. Before he became a Christian, he probably was wealthy and well-to-do. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, as we'll see later on in his letter. He uh, uh, studied under uh, a very famous Pharisee named Gamaliel, but he lost it all. Didn't even have a, a home. And there he was in the prison and the Philippian church, they send him a, a, a gift. And uh, in the previous uh, chapter, uh, Paul commends them for that. And he says, uh, you know what? I'm sending the guy back, Epaphroditus. He brought the gift for you. Uh, he, he labored so much, he got sick, he almost died. And you guys heard about it. But thank God he didn't die. And now I'm sending it back to you guys so you guys can rejoice. And the one thing you see in the letter to the Philippians is Paul writes and he says, rejoice over and over again, like 16 times in the letter. Rejoice. Be glad in the Lord. How many know that joy is not the same as happiness? There's an old song from the 50s, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life. (laughs) Never make a pretty woman your wife. That's happiness. If you want joy, get saved, accept Jesus as your Savior, And live for God, and you'll have joy. Paul, he's in a prison when he writes this letter, and he says, rejoice, have joy. It's all good, and it's not fake good. It's all good because he knows where he's going, and he knows he's not there yet, but he's on the way. Praise God. So this is kind of funny. He says, finally. Finally? What do you mean, finally? This is only the third chapter of the letter. Finally, well, so I looked it up. In the Phillips translation, it says, in conclusion, the message Bible, it says, well, that's about it. But literally, it means, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary in the Bible, it means as to what remains. In other words, furthermore, I got more stuff to say because he addresses something very important. But before he addresses that, he gives this command, so to speak, rejoice in the Lord. Now this is one of Paul's phrases throughout all of his letters, in the Lord. In Romans, he talks about being either in Adam or in Christ. We're all born into Adam. We're all born sinners. You don't have to teach little kids how to lie, how to be selfish. You don't have to teach them all that stuff. It's human nature. Human nature, I'm sorry to say, 
uh, the Bible clearly denotes is not good. Human nature, people are not good by nature. Some people are good, but not as good as God would want us to be. Can you say amen? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God is what the Scripture specifically says. We are born into Adam. We're born into sin. We have a sinful nature. And until we get a new nature by becoming born again, we are not in Christ. So Paul talks about this. He says, rejoice in the Lord. We can rejoice in any circumstance because if you're saved, you are in the Lord. You have a destiny. You have a Father in heaven who deeply concerned about you, cares about you, wants to help you and move in your life. The Phillips translation translates it to delight yourselves in the Lord. <clears throat> so there was a reference, if you have your Bibles, to Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 10 through 18. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, on August 4th, the year 458 B.C., Ezra, the priest, had traveled over 900 miles bond foot from Babylon back to Jerusalem with about 5,000 people. Previously, um, about 50,000 people had returned from the exile in Babylon. And they rebuilt the temple, but the rest of the city was still in ruins. So Ezra, they got back there and they began to build and uh, then somebody found a Bible. They're, obviously, they didn't have the New Testament back then, but they found the law of Moses and they read it. And in verse 8 it says, So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Think about that. Every morning you wake up, Paul writes and he says, you know, some people in the book of Romans, he says, some people think one day of the week is more important than others. Some people observe feasts and this, that, and the other thing. And other people think every day is important to God. That's my opinion. And he says, make up your own mind. And so when I read this, this day is holy to the Lord your God. In my mind, Every morning that I wake up is a holy day to God. Can you say amen? I think that's the way we should look at it. Praise God. But he says, do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Why would they do that? Because they got the understanding, like Mark Twain said, it's not the things in the Bible I don't understand that bother me, it's the things I do understand. Like all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Praise God. And that our sins separate us from God. That's why they were weeping. But he says, don't, don't do that. Don't cry. And he says to them, go your way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. And send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. When I was growing up, I was always one of the smallest kids in my class. And I got bullied a little bit here and there. And I always wished I was as big as my brother James. He's like, I probably weighs about 400 pounds now, but 
He's six foot six and a half. One day, me and James are walking down the boulevard, and there's this uh, fence, a bunch of storefronts, and there's a fence because there was a, a yard with uh, uh, they, they worked on cars and stuff, and it had this dog comes running out, sees me. The dog comes running out, and then my brother James is right behind me, and as soon as the dog sees James, it goes, and ran back. <laughs> I wished I had that power, you know, come into the room, and people would respect me because I was such a big guy. But the joy of the Lord is my strength now. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Verse 18, or no, verse 17, it goes on to say, um, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, and there was very great gladness. They were happy, the joy of the Lord. They understood that there was a God that loved them, and that there was a God who was watching out for them and, pre and preparing the way for whatever comes about. Hallelujah. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And this is why Paul can write and say, Rejoice in the Lord, even though he's in prison. I had to go do some work at the Pima County Jail for my employer, and uh, none of those guys looked happy. <laughs> Not a single one of them. They all looked like really suspicious at each other, like, whoa. So Paul's in prison, and he says, you know what? Rejoice in the Lord. Then he goes on to say, <clears throat> for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Hallelujah. How many like to be safe? Safety on the job. I'm in the carpenter's union and I work in construction. And the number one thing is safety. If you do it safely, you'll be able to do it accurately and you'll be able to be productive. Do it right the first time. Do it safely. might take a little more time, but you don't have to go back and fix it. It's always better to do it safely. I've been in some situations on the job site where it was not safe, and I got hurt. Broke a rib, got hit in the heart out with a piece of rebar, cut my neck one time, broke four fingers so far, <laughs> sprained my knees, I don't know how many times, my ankles. Safe. God wants us to be safe. Can you say amen? So he says... <clears throat> Hallelujah. To be safe. To me indeed, he says, it's not grievous. In the New American Standard, it says, it's no trouble to me. No burden for me in another uh, translation. It's not wearisome. The Amplified Bible, it's not irksome. That's a funny word, irked. I'm irked. <laughs> Praise God. He's saying it's not. No problem. I'd love to write or exhort you or tell you these things over and over. It's no problem because it's for your safety. That is, according to Dake's uh, commentary, the same doctrine he had preached and written to others. You can look in almost every one of Paul's letters, the epistles, that's the Greek word for letters. The Romans had a postal system, so he's able to send letters. It was really awesome. If you look at the book of uh, Daniel, Daniel prophesied about the different kingdoms that would come. And because the Romans were in charge at that time, because the Greeks had been in charge before the Romans, the New Testament was written in Greek, the uh, Old Testament had been translated into Greek, and the Romans were able, you were able to send letters. 
Glory to God. What a wonderful thing. And so Paul writes these letters, and, and the same things he says in almost all of them. Rejoice. Be in the Lord. His, uh, another phrase that is a favorite of mine is much more. He's always saying, especially in Romans, much more. You know, if God's done this and you do this, much more the grace of God will abound. Hallelujah. In other words, Paul's saying, you know, there's no mental anguish for me to write the same things to you guys again. But for you, it's safe. He's kind of saying, I hope they remember everything. But he's not worried about it. We had a superintendent on one job. At the end of the day, he'd start talking about, you know, what we got to do tomorrow, and uh, he'd get ready to go. And another thing, he'd say, oh, okay, boss, and okay, fine, we got that all straight. Oh, wait, and another thing. Well, Paul is saying this same thing, and another thing. Here's something for you to remember. For you, it's safe. In the Message Bible, he says, it's better safe than sorry. Can you say Amen. <laughs> It's a safeguard for you. And the Rames translation to you, for you, it's necessary, Paul's saying, that I write these same things to you again, again, and again. So here's what he's concerned about. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 through 3. Beware of dogs, not dogs on four legs. He's talking about people. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Let's stop right there for a moment and look at that. Beware of dogs and evil workers. He's using three phrases here to describe the same type of people. Be on your guard, the Phillips translation says, against these curs. In verse 18 of chapter 3, he calls them enemies of the cross. In this day and age, back when Paul wrote this, People did not keep dogs as pets. They didn't take them to the veterinarian. They didn't put a dog collar on them and walk them and feed them and clean up after them. Dogs were on their own. I've seen that over in Tahiti. The dogs are on their own. They're so desperate, they go to the trash and they try and eat whatever they find in the trash. They go sit in the surf and try and catch fish because no one cares for them. And so... This merely expressed the fact that Gentiles were outside the covenant privileges that the Israelites were. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 26, the woman comes to Jesus and says, My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Please help her. And Jesus says, <clears throat> It's not right to take the food off the table and give it to the dogs. And she says, That's true. But even the little dogs get to eat the crumbs and fall on the floor. And what does Jesus say? Oh, woman, great is your faith. May it be done to you. And immediately, her daughter was healed. This is the Jewish mindset at that time of Jesus. Is that anyone outside of the covenant privileges of God, outside of the commonwealth of Israel, were considered dogs. Now, Paul's turning it around and saying, you Jewish guys who are the mutilators, you're the dogs. It's like, whoa, Paul's uh, got some pretty harsh words there, wouldn't you say? These wicked workmen, the New King James Version calls them evil workers. In the Amplified Bible, it calls them legalists. Jameson, Frosted, and Brown commentators translates it to bad teachers. Bad teachers. 
We have bad teachers in some of our schools. It would be good to get rid of the bad teachers and get good teachers. And then he says, this is why they are bad teachers and evil workers and dogs, because of the mutilation. He's talking about guys uh, that would come, that went to Philippi and other places. In fact, the whole letter to the Galatians is his whole argument against why you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. These evil teachers, they came from Jerusalem and said, oh, you have to get circumcised in order to uh, be saved and be, in, be on your way to heaven and be right with God. And it's like the Philippians said, you want to do what? I don't think so. And Paul, he writes and he says, these guys are just mutilators. In the old King James, he calls them not circumcision, concision, just people that cut stuff. In Leviticus chapter 21, verse 5, priests are to make no cuttings in their flesh. Years ago, I saw this old movie called the uh, King Solomon's Mind. And uh, these uh, Europeans are traveling through Africa somewhere, and they meet up with this African guy, and he's heading the same direction, so he decides he's going to go with them. They get close to the region where his tribe is from, and the two guys from his tribe come out to meet them. He opens his shirt, and he's got these ritual marks on him. And lo and behold, he's the rightful king, and they can tell by these marks on him. If you remember the story of uh, uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal in the first chapter of, or the first book of Kings in chapter 18, uh, Elijah tells him, you know, let's have a contest. Let's see if your God's a real God, and we'll see if our God's a real God. So you guys do all your stuff. We'll make a, a big thing here. And whoever answers by fire, that's the real God. And so God has a sense of humor. The prophets of Baal, there's 400 of them dancing around, yelling and screaming around their sacrifice, and Baal doesn't answer. So Elijah says, um, I think maybe your God's on vacation. Oh, he's probably going to the bathroom. He's busy. <laughs> and so what happens? As he's mocking them, they decide, well, this is how we're going to worship. They start cutting themselves in an attempt to get their not even existent God to answer. And nothing happens. And if you know the rest of the story, Elijah says, okay, guys, there's a drought going on. Go get a bunch of water and cover everything with water uh, three times. And now, God, if you're God, answer by fire. And boom, fire falls out of heaven, burns up the rocks, burns up the burnt offering, burns up the wood, and burns up all the water in the ditch. And all the Israelites fall on their faces and say, the Lord, he is God. He answered by prayer. Notice that the mutilators, they were mutilating themselves, cutting themselves till the blood gushed out, and it did no good. So Paul's saying, you guys are just like that. The same thing. you legalists. In Christ Jesus, chapter 6, verse 15 of Galatians, Paul specifically spells it out. For in Christ Jesus, here's that phrase again, in Christ Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. In his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes, he says, Behold, or check it out, look at this, watch, think about this. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. All things pass away. 
all things have become new. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, God gives you a brand new life. All of your past is washed away. And not only that, but He puts His Spirit within you so you can live for God. So you do not have to follow any rituals. You don't have to perform to please God. All you have to do is trust that Jesus took your sins on Himself, that He rose again from the dead. In Romans chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Acts chapter 15, verse 5, the Pharisees said it was necessary to circumcise them and keep the law of Moses. So what did they do? They had a big meeting. And they uh, established something called the Jerusalem Decree. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, gave them a witness. It told them this is all the Gentiles need to do. They don't have to be circumcised. All they have to do is abstain from things offered to idols, abstain from blood, abstain from anything strangled, and abstain from sexual immorality. The first three, we in this country and in this day and age, <coughs> don't have to worry about. The last one we do, abstain from sexual immorality. That will help you please the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So it goes on, he says, we, those of us who are born again, are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice, there's that phrase again, in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh or our own abilities or our own efforts. You, a lot of people think, oh man, I need to pray more. I need to read the Bible more. I need to be in every church service. If we used to, <clears throat> I used to go to a church where if you missed a church service, it's like, oh my, they're backslid. You got to come and answer the altar call. It's like, no, if I missed a church service, God still loves me. Excuse me. We worship God in the Spirit. John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, and he says, God is Spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in Spirit and truth. It's the truth that makes us free. Jameson Fawcett and Brown's commentary says, <clears throat> what Jesus is saying is, you can worship God. Anytime, anywhere, any place. It's not bound or restricted to certain times or places. You can worship God in the shower. You can worship God in your backyard. You can worship God as you're driving in your car. You can worship God on the job. You can worship God anywhere, anytime, any place. You're never too much for Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. We have no confidence. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. We make affirmations. I'm saved. I'm loved by God. I am the redeemed. God has touched my life. I'm not the same person I used to be. Hallelujah. You can make affirmations. Get some Bible promises. There's, I remember uh, we saw that movie... Um, Tortured for Christ about Pastor uh, Richard Wormbrand. He spent 14 years in communist prisons in Romania. The day he got arrested, he said, what day of the year is it? Oh, it's leap year day. Oh, wow, that's amazing. There are 366 times in the Bible that he looked up 
and wrote down the scriptures, said, do not fear. Do not fear. I am with you. 360, one for every day of the year, including leap year day. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Hallelujah. God knows what he's doing. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. And we have no confidence in the flesh. Human nature, the flesh, with all its frailties, both morally and physically, all of our weaknesses, what he's talking about is in the flesh, our ordinances and outward performance, as Matthew Henry calls them, any rituals. We don't, we don't trust in rituals. That's the flesh. We don't trust in rituals. We trust in the risen Jesus. We trust in God who sent His only Son to be the Lamb of God who take away the sins of the whole world. We trust that what Jesus did is more than enough to make us good enough to be right with God. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? In Romans chapter 2, verse 29, circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit the Holy Spirit, that is, not in the letter, and whose praise is not from men, but from God. How many want God to praise you? I do. Well, someday we're going to stand before God. We're going to stand before the great white throne of judgment. And we're going to look Jesus in the eye, and he's going to say, hopefully to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Can you say amen? Isn't that something to look forward to? Jesus looking at you saying, well done. And how can he say that? Because if we love God, pay attention to the Holy Spirit, love people, God will work in us. Because it says it's God who's at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Isn't that awesome? God is awesome. Oh, I just can't say that enough. God is awesome. God is, I mean, it's going to blow your mind when we finally get to heaven and, and everything is revealed to us. Hallelujah. Thank God he doesn't do that now because it probably would be basket cases or something. It would blow our circuits. We wouldn't know what to do. But as we go along, we trust God in our everyday life. As we go along, we try and be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and let God use us. Hallelujah. And then Paul goes on to say, I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. He's boasting. You guys think you know how to do it? <laughs> Let me tell you something. He says, he goes on, circumcised the eighth day, perfect law follower of the stock of Israel, perfect law follower. Nobody in his family and his ancestry had anyone other than Jewish Israelite people marrying each other. According to the law, he was very lawful. Of the tribe of Benjamin. How many know who Benjamin was? He was Jacob's youngest son. His older brother Joseph, those were his last two sons. Joseph was his favorite. When Joseph was in uh, Egypt, he he told his brothers, you got to bring your other brother. They go back and tell Jacob, we got to bring Benjamin. No way! He's my... If, if, you, if he doesn't come back, it'll kill me. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, Paul was able to boast, I am blameless. I follow all the rules perfectly. 
I don't know about you, but I can't say that. <laughs> so let's look at a couple of things here. All right. He's circumcised. Let's look at this zeal here. He had zeal. There was, uh, in Acts chapter 5, verse 37, Paul studied under this very respected rabbi named Gamaliel. And uh, <clears throat> Peter and John get arrested for healing a guy. Can you imagine that? The, the guy's been lame from his mother's womb. They, they heal him. He gets up. He had never walked, and he's leaping and jumping and praising God because he's healed in the temple, and they arrest him. You guys are under arrest for... Uh, <clears throat> healing this guy. Well, we didn't heal him. Jesus did. And so the, uh, the, uh, the Sanhedrin, the ruling uh, religious leaders, they call Peter and John in and the guy that gets uh, healed. You're under arrest for being healed. He said, don't ever talk about this Jesus again. And they tell him, well, if you think we should obey you instead of God, that's your business, but we're going to obey God. So they throw him outside for a minute, and Gamaliel gets up and he says, remember, this guy, he started something, and he got killed, and everybody left. The zealots were founded, and he, Gamaliel specifically mentions Judas of Galilee around the time of the census. This is really interesting because around the time of the census is when Jesus was born. So obviously these zealots knew that the Messiah was coming. Remember the wise men came from the east and they said, where's the king of the Jews? And they said, what are you talking about? And they look it up. <laughs> their own religious leaders look it up in their scriptures in Bethlehem. And instead of going to see their Messiah, they let the wise men go. This is around the same time that this Judas of Galilee led a rebellion and he got killed, and everybody scattered, but the zealots were still around. One of the apostles, Simon the Zealot, was part of this group. The uh, <coughs> Jewish historian Flavius Josephus said that there was four groups of Jews. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. These guys were so adamant about being protective of the law of Moses and everything, that in the year 66 A.D. they led a new revolt. And unfortunately, it failed because in 70 A.D. Jesus' words were fulfilled that the temple would be destroyed by Titus, the Roman conqueror. So these guys, Paul was one of them. He was murdering Christians. People that... Jewish people that turned from the law of Moses to trust in Jesus, he was murdering them. Yet God had mercy on him and met Paul on the road to Damascus, and Paul knew who was talking to him, and he got saved. So he had confidence, but, but, make sure your butt is in the right place. What things were gained to me, these I have counted for loss for Christ. Let's stop right there for just a moment. He's saying he had confidence in those things, a lot of stuff that he could say, you know what, this makes me right with God. But he says those things I count as loss. 
there's a, uh, what he's talking about as loss is he made a decision that I don't need those things anymore, even though they're very valuable in the eyes of some of his compatriots and contemporaries. It's like being on a ship that's sinking and taking some of the cargo and throwing it overboard to save the ship. By the time you get to your port, all that stuff is gone that you were carrying, so you don't get paid, but at least you still got your ship so you can go in business again. But this is a voluntary loss incurred by tossing stuff overboard to lighten a ship. This is what Matthew Henry says that Paul's actually saying in plain English. Well, actually, old English, because Matthew Henry's kind of old. He said, I should have reckoned myself an unspeakable loser if to adhere or to hold on to those things, I would have lost Christ. In other words, Paul's making a trade, a most valuable trade of all of the things that he could boast about that said, I'm right with God, and realizing that those things don't make him right with God, and trading, throwing them overboard. So I'm through with these. I'm done with these. I don't need these anymore. I'm going to save my ship by trusting in Jesus. Hallelujah. John Asbury was born in 1745 in England. Poor uh, family. Uh, his oldest sister uh, died when she was very young. His parents were among the first converts of John Wesley, and they were Methodists. It was something new at the time, and there was religious freedom going on. At the age of 17, he began uh, preaching while still being an apprentice blacksmith. The age of 20, he went into the full-time ministry, riding the circuits of the Methodist Church in England. In 1771, John Wesley issued an appeal for people to go to the colonies, to the Americas, to witness and, and build the church there. In the 45 years that John Asbury ministered in the United States and in the colonies, or whatever you want to call it, he traveled over 300,000 miles mostly on horseback. In 1771, when he arrived, there were only 300 Methodists or so and only four pastors in the whole area. By the time he passed away in 1816, there were over 214,000 people got saved, and he himself personally ordained over 4,000 pastors. This was his motto. Go into every kitchen and shop. Speak to everyone, old and young, on the salvation of their souls. He did not even have his own home. He slept wherever he was welcome. He is a person, as an example of Paul, who decided to give up everything to know the priceless privilege of knowing Jesus. He gave it all up, counted it lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence. I'm going to look at this word, excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. What this in the old New King James is this, speaks this way, but in modern English, the excellence of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. In the Amplified Bible, it says that he compares, he lost, he's thrown everything away compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and 
of my progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. Hallelujah. You can know Jesus more and more as the days go by. The other night, uh, <laughs> how many have ever gone in the closet and closed the door and prayed closet like Jesus said? The other night, I did that. I just felt God tell me, go in your closet, close the door, and sit and talk to me. So I did, and I, this thought had come to my mind that I had read earlier by um, uh, an old preacher. He said, think about this. Jesus' feet were on this earth over 2,000 years ago. Jesus, God himself, came to earth and walked on this earth became a human being just like you and I, suffered everything, experienced everything anyone will ever experience, sickness, he took it all upon himself, rejection, took it all upon himself, abandonment, loneliness, took everything that we will ever experience upon himself. Hallelujah. Praise God. A man or a person can make other things his gain. These things were gain, but I counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, garbage, that I may gain Christ. And this is a play on words when he uses the word rubbish. What he's literally saying is dog poop. Because these guys are coming around saying that you've got to be circumcised. He's calling them dogs. And he's saying all their righteousnesses are like dog poop. Hallelujah. Garbage cast to the dogs. <clears throat> but when you make Jesus your sole gain and you put all your trust in him, your chief confidence there's great reward. Hallelujah. Not only that, but he goes on to say, verse 9, he wants to be found in him. There's that phrase again, in Christ. Glory to God. The Phillips translation, he says, how changed are my ambitions. When you get saved, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, he changes your focus, changes your ambitions. What's your goal in life? My goal in life is to know Jesus, to know Jesus, to be found in him because Jesus is coming back and he's not going to want to search for us. Hey, where are you? He's going to want to know, are you in Christ? Hallelujah. This comes from the, on the basis of faith, having my own righteousness, which is garbage, which is from the law, but he wants the righteousness which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Ephesians chapter 2 says, By faith, by grace, you're saved by grace through faith, trusting in Jesus. That not of yourselves, it's a gift from God. Amen. We don't have to work for it. You don't have to put a whole lot of effort into serving God and being saved. You just trust in Jesus. It's not in works. Hallelujah. This righteousness, which is from God, is imputed to us or imparted to us. It literally means perfect holiness. 
Hallelujah. When God looks at you and you received Jesus as your Savior, God says you're perfectly holy before me. That's good news. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Then he went, goes on, he says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Let's stop right there for a minute. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We are buried with him through baptism into his death, which is his sufferings, his death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. In verse 11 it says, Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're talking about a transfer of uh, your authority, a transfer of your very being from in Adam to in Christ. Hallelujah. How I long, the Phillips translations, that I may know him. How I long to know him better and better. Glory to God. And then, we'll close with this. Verse 11. If, why would Paul say if, if he was so confident? Why would Paul say that? If, by any means, or in, is, if it's possible in the Amplified, or somehow, why would Paul say, somehow, by any means, somehow, if, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead? I would, is Paul uncertain? Does he not really have confidence in Jesus and what God's done for him already? How many wonder about that? Why would he say if? Well, I'll tell you why. Glad you asked that question. He hadn't died yet. Therefore, he couldn't be raised from the dead physically yet. The resurrection of the dead is coming. It's a guarantee. Because Jesus rose from the dead, everyone else is going to rise from the dead. The righteous to eternal life, and the unrighteous to eternal perdition. So he has a goal. He's not content. He's not happy just, uh, you know, having... A little bit of knowledge of God. He wants to know Jesus more and more fully. So how do you do that? You don't want to be just having an acquaintance with Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm acquainted with Jesus. Yeah, I've heard about him. You want to have a personal relationship with Jesus. So with that, let's bow our heads and close our eyes in prayer. Hallelujah.